0: Acts chapter 3, I gave myself for thee, what hast thou given for me? The book of Acts is 28 chapters describing the acts of the apostles, and the apostles did give for the Lord Jesus Christ. One time the mother of John and James came to Jesus and said can our can my son sit at your right hand and he said are they were are they able to drink of the cup that I'm to drink of and to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with and then he said of them they shall indeed drink of that cup but for him to give positions in heaven was not his but they drank of that cup brethren amen They died martyrs' deaths and they gave up their lives. When Jesus said, Come, follow me and lay down your fishing nets, they laid down all that they had and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So when we look into this book of Acts, we are reading about the great men that God chose. They were not great in themselves. Actually, they were very pitiful men. They were not eloquent, they were not educated. They were not intelligent. They were not noble publicans, fishermen. But the Lord Jesus Christ made them great men. Amen. And we saw on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, last Sunday evening and last Sunday morning, that when Jesus filled them with the Holy Ghost, they were different people. Right. Peter, instead of being afraid of a little servant girl at a fire, was able to stand up and address the whole nation of Israel and lay out the gospel to them all and show the fulfillment of prophecy and tell them that they had wicked hands and that Jesus was coming to destroy their nation and that they needed to save themselves from it. What a blessing to have the Holy Spirit of God, and I appreciate your prayer, Brother Jim, and let's all pray for that, that God will continue to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us to live righteously, to add to our number those that he wants to add, If it's more or if it's less, that's his choice. Let's just serve him personally as faithfully as we can. Let's come to the book of Acts. I have wanted to show you one or two verses out of each chapter that I hope you might take as being the most important for us. In Acts chapter 1, it would be the 14th verse where it says that these all, that is the 12 apostles, it was 11 for a few days, (laughs) These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Spiritually minded Christians are praying people. If we don't pray often, we have to ask ourselves, do we truly know Jesus Christ? From chapter 2, I would like to emphasize the last seven verses From verses 41 through 47, I'll not read them again, but they describe the character of the church of Jesus Christ when it's filled with the Holy Ghost. These people loved each other. When you read Acts 2, 41 through 47, I promise you the number one thought in your head is, I am not enough like that. That is strange. They loved each other too much. They sold their possessions to give to one another. They were together every day. They ate their meals from house to house. They were glad all the time. Amen. But you read it in Acts 2, 41 through 47. And when we don't find ourselves looking like those verses, we have to wonder, are we Christians indeed? Right. Let's come to chapter 3. Now Peter and John, they were good friends, weren't they? Peter and John did a lot of things together. I think we all appreciate the fact that when they found, when they heard the message from Mary that the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty, it was the two of them that had a foot race to see who could get to that tomb. And John did outrun Peter. But Peter, being the bolder of the two, while John stood outside and looked in, Peter ran on into that tomb. But we find the two of them doing a number of things together, and here they are together again. Now, The Bible doesn't tell us whether this was the last half of the day of Pentecost or not. So I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't do that very often. The Bible doesn't tell us. I believe it's the second half of the day of Pentecost. And I lay my belief and faith on the fact that the Holy Ghost filled these men and Acts 2 wasn't enough. Right. The verses you have in verses 41 through 47 are Luke's commentary on the character of the church, and then he takes up again with another event that occurred later in the afternoon. What time did they speak in tongues and Peter preach his first sermon? In the morning, morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, because Acts chapter 2 and verse 15 told us that at the third hour. Now, we read in this first verse of Acts chapter 3 that it's the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You say, well, you couldn't get 3,000 people baptized that quickly. You underestimate how many men there were in this assembly that could baptize. There were more than apostles there. There were evangelists and other gifts given. There were 70 that had already been sent out two by two that were part of this number. They could do that easily. And brethren, if I faced the chore of baptizing 3,000, I could have done it myself. I hope you understand. Amen. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. I want to point out from this verse to all of you, and as I go through chapter 3, you're going to see that some of it doesn't apply too much to us, but this first verse does. The hour of prayer. Now I want you to look. This is Acts chapter three and verse one. If we look back in Acts chapter two and verse fifteen, it was the third hour of the day when the Lord used them. If we look at chapter ten, chapter if we look at chapter ten about the life of Cornelius, we have these words about Peter. Acts ten verse nine. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's praying at 12 o'clock noon, which is the sixth hour, and we find them being filled with the Holy Ghost at 3 o'clock in the morning, which is also a time of prayer. That is praying three times a day, formally. When Daniel was accused before the government of his prayers, it is specifically said that he prayed three times a day. And after the law was given that he could that no man could pray to any other God, it says that Daniel in Daniel chapter six and verse ten continued to kneel and face Jerusalem and pray three times a day. Now look at Psalm fifty five with me to see the example given. By David. Psalm 55. The apostles are full of the Holy Ghost. They're practicing the scriptures. And they're praying three times a day. We do not pray enough. And it's my word of exhortation to you from this first verse. We're going to go fast through this chapter. We need to pray more. Psalm 55 and verse 17. Evening and morning. And at noon will I pray, and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. If you wonder why your prayers aren't being answered, maybe it's because we're not praying enough. I know, if you think of Acts chapter 1, these continued in prayer. Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Acts chapter 3, first verse. Prayers, a different time of the day, three times a day. We will not survive as Christians. We will not please Jesus Christ enough unless we pray more. It is the crying need of our lives to pray more. It's not part of contemporary Christianity. To go into your closet and to seek the Lord at least three times a day by this example is something that's not done very much anymore. But we need to be praying people. And as we pray, And if we include a prayer for the Holy Ghost, which Jesus Christ gives us as an example of something to pray for, he will be given to us. Amen. Acts chapter 3. They went up to the temple at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, being the hour of prayer. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried... Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now, this is a way that the lame ought to be taken care of, not by government programs, but by alms. Because there was some effort involved. He had to be taken and he had to ask. And so there was some effort on his part rather than just opening the mailbox and receiving a check from the government he had to have relatives that helped take care of him. But what a great place to lay. At the hour of prayer, at the gate of the temple, wouldn't men be disposed to give when they're about to go in and ask God for his blessings toward them? Beautiful. Yes, it was the beautiful gate. And a certain man, I love how the Bible puts that. It wasn't just any man. The Lord knew about this man. A certain man. that You're not going to know much about him. But he was a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. (laughs) Chapter 4 tells us he was over 40 years of age. So for over 40 years of age, his ankle bones and his feet had no strength. He was called an impotent man, no power. He could not walk. He was lame. Now I preached to you this morning that there's a God in heaven that does things like that, isn't there? That man was lame for 40 years and had to be carried. His mother bore the burden of giving birth to a child that could not walk and never did walk, never participated in the athletic contests. For 40 years, that man suffered. We get concerned when we suffer for 40 minutes, don't we? If we're suffering for 40 minutes, we want to start belly aching. This man was lame for 40 years, and he was a certain man. But I want to tell you something that was by the choice of God to magnify the name of Jesus Christ. And if the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you some difficult circumstances for you to magnify his name by bearing up under them and lifting your voice in praise to him, even though your life has difficult circumstances, I hope you can be thankful for them. The Apostle Paul, as I said this morning, counted it a pleasure, a pleasure, When he had difficulties in his life, he had a thorn in the flesh that was significant, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he prayed three times the Lord would take it away and the Lord didn't take it away. He said, I'm going to leave it with you, but I'm going to give you enough grace to be able to bear it. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Can you glory in the things that are wrong in your life? Not sin. That you ought to repent of. But I want you to think about that certain man. The Lord made that choice for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 tells us, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Two fishermen. Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said some of the most precious words, brethren. Silver and gold have I none. There'd be a moment of disappointment, wouldn't there? (laughs) Brethren, don't look for silver and gold in your life. We live in a nation and a generation that thinks happiness and success and pleasing God is measured by what we carry in our wallets or what we live in or what we drive. Forget all that. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Amen. Oh, brethren, we've heard those words. Jesus Christ has spoken to us and has given himself to us. Right. Do we need silver and gold? What if it all went away? Could we be like Job? Could we be like the verses I gave you today? Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven or on earth beside thee? We don't need those things. And I hope that you love Jesus Christ enough that he's enough for you and that you don't need money or success to make you happy, nor a spouse, nor children, nor anything, as long as you have the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There are healing services that take place in America, but nothing like this. You've all watched them. When you watch those healing services, all, your mind just fills with doubt and skepticism because the healings are not real. This healing was real. Now, how do we know that it was real? Look at, the, look at the result. Peter reaches down in verse 7. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That's a doctor writing this. It's Dr. Luke, remember? He was a companion of Paul, and he was called the beloved physician. So he gives us a diagnosis of the man's problem. His ankles and his feet had no strength. But they received strength. And he leaping up stood. Now a man that hasn't walked for 40 years doesn't tend to leap up and stand. But this man did. There was no rehabilitation. No physical therapist. The Lord Jesus Christ completely heals when he heals. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. He just didn't, Peter and John weren't leaping. We don't read about them leaping. But they had this (laughs) leaping man going with them into the temple. And, brethren, there's a reason for it. It was a sign and a wonder to cause all the Jews to ask the question, what's going on? He'd been laying there for 40 years. They carried him there and left him there. They all knew him. Verse 9 and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And I hope that as God does things for us, and he has, We want to praise God. We want to praise him. To praise him is to bless him, to tell him how great he is, and to tell others how great he is. I hope that we want to do that. That will make you happier than anything else, because that's what you were created for. is to praise the living God who created us, and not only created us, but saved us by his son Jesus Christ. Far more than receiving strength in our feet, we should want to praise him. Verse 10 tells us, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They all knew him. They had seen his face. They'd seen his clothes. They'd seen his form. But now he's walking and leaping and praising God. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering the the miracles that God gave the apostles to do are called in the Bible signs and wonders. It's a sign. The Jews had been taught that when a prophet came along, giving them a message from God, the way to one of the ways to prove him was to seek for a sign to confirm his word. Remember Moses. I already went through this. Moses did not go back to Israel without a few tricks He could stick his hand in his cloak and pull it out, and it would be covered with leprosy, an incurable disease. And he could stick it back in and pull it back out, and it would be whole. And God gave him several miracles like that to do so that the people would believe that this deserter that's been gone for 40 years has a message from God. And so these fishermen are showing that they have a message from God by a man that was known by all to be leaping and praising God and holding the two men that were the means of his healing. And so all the people rushed together. We're told in verse 11 that they came rushing together, greatly wondering. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Now, they were filled with wonder and amazement just six hours earlier, weren't they? Yep. When all the apostles began speaking in foreign languages. And these men had traveled from all over the world to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, And they heard these dumb apostles. And I do them no harm when I say that. They'd never been educated. When an apostle opened his mouth, you knew he had never gone to school. It tells us that in Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. God chooses those kind of men to be his mouthpieces. They were wondering in chapter 2, and now they're wondering again in chapter 3. And I believe it was six hours later in the afternoon of the great day of Pentecost by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so it creates an opportunity for Peter to preach the gospel to another group. Verse 12, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, This Peter, who was afraid of a little girl, is no longer afraid of crowds, is he? He has his second crowd and he's ready to preach the gospel to them. He sees that God has just done something very spectacular to bring a whole crowd together that is wondering. And that's the kind of people you want to preach to. They're wondering. Not set, not arguing, but wondering and filled with amazement. The presence of God must be here. Something very unusual is happening. What's the explanation? And so Peter gives the great explanation. And if you want to see a sermon that develops by the power of the Holy Ghost, watch how he treats his audience this time. There's eloquence taught here by the Holy Spirit of God. Not necessarily political correctness. It might not pass in a university, but it's what the Lord endorses. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Now, that is a rhetorical question that is in, that's very wise. Yep. Peter would not have thought that up on his own. That's by the Holy Ghost. That's a rhetorical question that adds, that adds to the luster of the miracle by him playing it down, implying there's more power than that around here than just to heal this lame man. Why marvel ye at this? And why look ye so earnestly on us? as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. Two questions he asks. What's so great about this healing? There's more than that that we can tell you about. And don't look at us. Obviously, we don't look like we could do it. We don't have the holiness to heal. Now watch his wisdom, please. Watch the wisdom of Bible preaching. And may the Lord bless Your pastor to have Bible preaching. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He connects himself to those that he's preaching to immediately. That's great wisdom. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not your fathers, our fathers. He immediately unites himself to this group of Jewish listeners. I'm a Jew. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Could you say any, is there a better name for God when you're addressing a Jewish congregation or a Jewish audience? No. Great wisdom. That God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. Now he gets right to the bottom line in a hurry. (laughs) Why are you marveling at this act? This is nothing. Why are you looking at us like we could heal him? We obviously couldn't heal. I want to tell you something. The God that you worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. They knew that name, Jesus. They had crucified that Jesus just 50 days earlier. Remember, Pentecost. Pente in our English language means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. Just 50 days ago, They had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected him, and said, let his blood be upon us and on our children. We don't want him. We don't want this man to rule over us. We want Caesar, the foreign oppressing government of the Romans they chose, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. God has glorified his son Jesus. He is no longer a baby in a manger. He isn't a crucifix hanging on a cross. He is seated in heaven, glorified. That's the power that healed this man. Don't look at us. And there's more available than what healed this man. Now watch Peter aggravate, watch Peter make worse the crucifixion by the way he brings up some details about it to pound his audience into repentance. Watch this. Your God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up. Do you know how horrible those words are? Whom ye delivered up. A nation took one of their own and gave him up to the foreign power that was the oppressing government over Israel. Right. How wicked of a crime is that when a nation offers up one of their own as a sacrificial lamb, and I mean that in two senses, to a foreign oppressing government. And Peter goes right after them, whom ye delivered up. He didn't say, your rulers or those wicked men in Jerusalem. He said, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. You denied you wanted anything to do with him in the presence of Pilate. You rejected him. You denied knowing of him. You denied submitting to him. You denied that he was any king of the Jews. When he was determined to let him go, this foreign governor named Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. But you wouldn't let him. You demanded that he be crucified, even though that Roman knew that he was innocent. You demanded it, crucify him, crucify him. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. You looked at a man that nothing could be proven against him. In fact, the false witnesses they brought all contradicted each other. And when you saw that and you knew that he was a Holy One and the just, he was the living embodiment of justice. You decided that you wanted him to be crucified and you desired a murderer to be granted unto you, Barabbas. What a choice. You wicked men, this is Peter preaching, you wicked men chose Barabbas, a murderer, to be released to the people because every day, every year at the Passover, the Roman government would release a prisoner. And they chose Barabbas, a murderer, so that Jesus Christ could be crucified. And Peter is aggravating their sin by mentioning these facts about the trial of Jesus Christ. And you killed the prince of life, verse 15. Notice the words that the apostle Peter is using. You killed the prince of life. If there was ever a being that embodied life in its fullness, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you killed, you took away. What To kill someone is to steal their life. To commit adultery is to steal a wife. To take possessions is to steal their goods. But to murder someone is to steal their life. And they stole the life of the prince of life. And these are the words Peter is using on these Jews. Whom God hath raised from the dead. You delivered him up to a foreign power. You denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate wanted to let him go. You were, you, tr- you were traitorous to him. You chose a murderer instead of Jesus Christ. You killed the Prince of Life, even though you knew he was holy and just. This is Peter's sermon, brethren. This is preaching by the Holy Ghost. Amen. He was not kind to them. He reminded them of the seriousness of their crime, but he's going to show them the remedy shortly. But then he says, whom God hath raised... From the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Those apostles had seen the Lord Jesus Christ for 40 days. They could witness the fact God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has raised that Jesus up that you killed, and we're witnesses of it. We can never be witnesses like that. We can witness to the truth as we have opportunity, but we can never be witnesses like the apostles because they had a unique position in the world. Remember, what was the number one qualification to be an apostle? Mm -hmm. To have seen the resurrected and living Lord Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. So that those men could go out and say, I was an eyewitness. I saw him. I heard him. I handled him. I ate with him. I watched him eat. I put my finger in the holes in his hands. God has raised him from the dead. This is the message of the gospel. We don't have a Savior in a manger. We don't have a Savior on a cross. We have a Savior on a throne. God has raised him from the dead and glorified his son Jesus. And I hope you love him tonight. And his name, this is verse 16 of Acts 3, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, With faith, believing in the power and position and person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is what made this man strong. I want to remind you of the power of the name of Jesus Christ. When we pray, we ought to invoke that name frequently in our prayers because that is the name that shakes the demons of hell because it causes them to tremble. The Bible says that they tremble at the knowledge of God. And when they met Jesus Christ in person on earth, even before he was glorified, they would fall at his feet and acknowledge that he was the Holy One of God and was he there to torment them before the time. I hope that when we pray, we will always invoke that great name and that we'll invoke it with great seriousness and never use it in vain. God, help us if we would ever be so foolish as to use the name of Jesus Christ in vain. Let us use it in power and in sincerity. And I want to tell you something the Bible says, that no man on this earth can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. But to invoke that name, there is a king sitting on a throne, and he's a man, and he's sitting on that throne tonight in the heavenly places. I know I tell you this often because I want you to remember it. Jesus Christ is not a theological concept, and he is not a spirit. He is the God-man sitting on a throne in heaven, and he's been glorified by his Father. And he is exalted far above every principality and power in this world and in the world to come. And he has all power given unto him, and he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He raises up nation against nation and dashes them in pieces. Our, glo- our globe looks like a political globe, looks like a quilt, because God has, Jesus Christ has dashed the nations in pieces with his rod of iron. Right. Prior to his coming, the earth was united, the part of the earth that the God cared about was united under one government. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And when Jesus Christ came, the gates of hell could not prevail against Him. And He sent His twelve messengers into the world. And they broke this world up because the gates of hell could not prevail. They went through those gates and they rescued people like you and me who were worshipping trees and stones. Right. Amen. And the whole earth has been broken up into pieces because Jesus Christ reigns on the throne of heaven. Amen. He's been exalted. And when you should use His name and not shy away from His name. And when we come to the end of our prayers and we tend to say in Jesus' name, amen, and say it too quickly, slow that little clause down there at the end of our prayers and open it up and bless the name of Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. He's your brother, your friend, your King, your Lord. And He's going to own you someday before His Father in heaven as having paid completely for all of your sins. May Jesus Christ be praised. His name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Are you a believer tonight in the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, If any man prays unto his father (laughs) believing, what, what will happen? You'll get what you ask for. It's his name through faith in his name. Some people like to be name droppers. You know, if you work in a large company, they like to mention that you know, I I had lunch with so and so, as if that's to impress you, because they had lunch with a uppity they had lunch with a senior manager of the company. But you know, we can drop we can drop a name, and we drop that name with his father. We drop the name of Jesus Christ, and ask for God our Father to consider us because of his son Jesus. Right. It goes on to say, His name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The last half of verse 16. Please look at it. Beginning with the word yea, the faith which is by him. There is a personal pronoun him. Him. Then there is a personal pronoun him just three words later. The first personal pronoun him, a male, masculine pronoun, is referring to Jesus Christ. And the second one is referring to the lame man. But I want to point out to you that faith comes by Jesus Christ. If you believe tonight, it is because God, by His sovereign power and His sovereign mercy... Chose to give you faith. Amen. Look at Psalm 10 with me. I want to chase that point for just a minute. Psalm 10. No man has faith by himself. No man. There is no, there's six billion people on planet earth tonight. Not one of them, without the grace of God, giving them faith would ever believe, would ever even want to believe. Here's what the Bible says about those six billion. Psalm 10 and verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. All the thoughts that men have, they do not include God. There is no place for God in their lives. Psalm 14, which is close by, I'll take a look at it with you. Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's the situation that we're in without God giving us faith. We would be unbelievers, all of us. It's faith by him. In in Acts chapter 3, and verse 16. You say, but can't you influence faith in a person? Do you remember the rich man who went to hell? Acts chapter 16. The rich man in hell said, Father Abraham, could you please send Lazarus to tell my five brothers that they will not come to this place? The answer of Abraham was, they have Moses and the prophets. The rich man says, well, we were a little too concerned about our careers. I don't think my brothers go to church. But if you would send Lazarus back from the dead, I'm sure they would believe if they saw a man come back from the dead. And Abraham said, no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't believe. It wouldn't make any difference if a man came back from the dead, because unless God gives faith, no one would ever believe. That's how Abraham told the rich man that there were going to be no efforts made for his brothers because it wouldn't make any difference. Unless God gives us faith, we wouldn't believe. And after the God I preached to you this morning, brethren, do you have any consciousness of what it means to believe? It is a gift from God. Amen. It is a gift from God that we don't deserve. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. faith is god's gift to us he doesn't give it to everyone but if you have it it's by gift that means you should be thankful for it and you should use it in acts 13:48 and when the gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the lord this is acts 13:48 i still hear pages acts 13:48 and when the gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the lord And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. How many believed? Those that were ordained to eternal life. God's choice in ordaining them to eternal life and giving them the faith to believe. Because if God didn't give it to us, we wouldn't. He wouldn't enter all of our thoughts. Psalm 10 and verse 4. You know, the Bible tells us this in so many different ways. It says that the fruit of the Spirit... Do we remember those nine points of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. So you have to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you before you would ever exercise faith. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's get Peter's words again. Now, these are Peter's words written... Acts is Peter's words spoken, recorded by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. But let's come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Those saints in 2 Peter 1.1, they had faith because Jesus Christ gave it to them. They obtained it through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it to them, which is exactly what Peter said in Acts 3:16, that it was faith which is by him. Do you know what the Lord says about a man who doesn't have faith? Leave him alone. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul said, "Pray for me that I might be delivered from unreasonable And wicked men. Now, most people pray that unreasonable and wicked men would be delivered to Paul, but Paul said, "Pray for me that I might be delivered from them." And he said, he gave the reason: for all men have not faith. And to try to preach the gospel to a man that has no faith, why not preach to the wall? God has to give faith, and then when God when God has given faith, and a man hears the gospel, he rejoices at it. Amen. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And what did the first half of that verse say? They glorified the word of the Lord. Amen. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 4. The last point on, this, on faith being a gift of God. You know, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can you believe in something you cannot see? God must give faith. And it's our faith that's born of God. 1 John 5, 4. For for whatsoever overcometh the world is born of God, and this is the victory that overcometh (laughs) the world, even our faith. Your faith is a result of being born of God. Unless we'd been born the second time to be different, with a new man, we wouldn't have faith. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul describes his preaching this way. He says in verse 3, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. Now, most people think that the preaching of the gospel is to help the lost. But notice, Paul said, my preaching is worthless to the lost, because it's hid to them. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those four verses say this. Unless God changes us by God commanding the light to shine in our hearts, we are blinded by the God of this world in his name. Satan, the devil, the serpent, Lucifer. The preaching of the gospel is hid to those that are lost. It doesn't help the lost. The gospel is to those where God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And brethren, the God that I preached to you this morning chose to command the light to shine in the darkness of your heart. That God would enter your thoughts. And not only enter your thoughts, that you would want to believe on him. And it was faith in his name, by him, in Acts 3.16, that made that man whole. Let's come back to Acts 3.16. And now, brethren, at verse 17, he's continuing his sermon. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. I understand that you were ignorant because you didn't know he was the promised Messiah. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. You may have crucified him in ignorance, but you didn't defeat the plan of God, because everything that God had purposed to have happened through Jesus Christ's sufferings, he's fulfilled them. There's a, here's his invitation. Repent, ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Verses 19 through 26 are some of the most very difficult verses in all the book of Acts. I'm going to tell you that, and then I'm going to give you the sense. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, not get blotted out, may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The following verses are describing the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called a time of refreshing. It is called a time and place of rest. Can you think of an apostle that wrote two chapters in your New Testaments that describe the New Testament kingdom of Jesus Christ as a rest? Who was the apostle? Paul. Paul. And what epistle? Hebrews. Hebrews. And what chapters? Chapter four four and three before it. Two chapters about a rest being left to the people of God, and that if they didn't believe, they would miss this gospel rest, just as the Israelites in the wilderness had missed the rest of Canaan by their unbelief. Listen to this verse from, Psalm, from Isaiah 28 and verse 12. I'm not, I'm not turning you to it. I just want you to hear the words. Isaiah prophesied, for with stammering lips... And another tongue, will he speak to this people? Paul says that that's fulfilled in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14. To whom he said, and what would be the message of this new language, this gift of tongues? What would the message be? This is the rest, wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. That's the gospel message there is rest and refreshment in the gospel kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 4 says, a man that has entered into Jesus Christ's rest has ceased from his own works. And it's a time of refreshing because it is God pouring out his spirit of peace and comfort and blessings. And you say, but haven't God's people suffered through the ages? Oh, brethren, but all you saw was the outside. When you can show me a man that can go to a stake and be chained there and have wood piled up around his waist, and then burned to death. But while he's being burned to death, he can sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ, and ask for the forgiveness of those that are burning him. I would say that that man has been refreshed, and rested, and given peace like we have never seen. Don't look at the outside, because Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. Do you know what I'm giving you right now? I'm giving you the fulfillment of most of the prophets of the book of of the Old Testament. When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and some of the other prophets, and you read about a fat land and a happy land and the rains and the blessings and the peace and all nations flowing to Jerusalem, do you know what it's talking about? It's talking about the times of refreshing and the times of restitution of all things because it's the restoration of the kingdom of God Back to its completeness, where there's a king on his throne that shall never be moved, who dispenses blessings and destroys all enemies. Amen. The Psalms are filled with it. Yeah. Do you know what the ministry of John the Baptist was? Jesus said, John the Baptist shall go before me and shall restore all things. Right. And look what that means in verse 21. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says that he is in heaven. Peter says he's in heaven in verse 20. And he says in verse 21, Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. When did the restoration of the kingdom of God occur? But in the 40-year period of reformation, when it was restored. Listen to these words of Malachi. You doubt me? Listen to this. God have mercy upon us for you to see the fulfillment. It's all spiritual, brethren. It's spiritual. Malachi chapter 3, about the coming of Jesus Christ. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. As in the days of old, and as in former years, it's through the New Testament kingdom where we worship like this, where we have a Savior that confess that we can confess our sins to and he forgives us, where we have a king on his throne who dispenses the Holy Ghost, who guides us and blesses us, protects us and opens his word to us. It is the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus said to his apostles in Matthew chapter 10, you will not have gone over the cities of Jerusalem until the Son of Man become. This verse said that he must go to heaven until the times of the restitution of all things, which included the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. But the whole culmination of the kingdom of God took 40 years. It was gradual. John the Baptist introduced it. The apostles furthered it. Jesus furthered it. And Jesus finished it with the destruction of Jerusalem. How many animal sacrifices were offered after 70 A.D.? None. How many priests of Levi were there after 70 A.D.? None. But it says he'll refine the sons of Levi. Brethren, that's you and me. That's sisters. Because he's made us all kings and priests. That's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this part of Acts, and Peter is exhorting them to repent that their sins may be blotted out when these seasons of, when this era, this time, time and times are used synonymously in the New Testament, unless it's, unless it's modified by a number, like Jesus told Peter, forgive 70 times seven, or when it's modified by a word like sundry in Hebrews 1, 1, who at sundry times, when it's just times, it's the same as time, it's an era, It's a period of time where God will send refreshing in his spirit, in his kingdom by Jesus Christ. And then Peter quotes a prophecy from Deuteronomy in verses 22 and 23 about a prophet that God would raise up that would be like Moses. Because remember when when God came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to the nation of Israel, they said, don't let God speak with us. They said, send a man that can speak to us. They were too afraid. And so God said, they've spoken well. I'll raise up a man like Moses that can speak to you. And he raised up the Lord Jesus Christ. But he gave a warning. And it's in, the warning is in verse 23. Those people that will not listen to and obey that man that he would raise up shall be destroyed from among the people. And we know that that happened all in context with what's described right here. And then we have verse 24. Peter says, yay yea. And all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of those future days. Is that what it says? These days. days. I want to show you that, brethren, because it's these days. We underestimate the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that there is a king on his throne who's dispensed his spirit and lives with his saints. We underestimate it. We read the Psalms, we don't know what it's talking about. We read Isaiah, we don't know what it's talking about. It's the time, the era of refreshing, and the time of the restitution. Restitution means restoration of all things. John the Baptist started the restoration, Jesus Christ, finished the, Jesus Christ furthered it, and the apostles finished it, and then Jesus Christ destroyed the nation of Israel and left the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 25, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. When it says thy seed in Acts chapter 3 and verse 25, is that a singular or a plural noun? That's a singular noun. That's one person. Is a woman ever called a seed in the Bible? No. We have a male person. By seed, do we all know who that is? Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that very plainly. But here is Peter appealing to these Jews. God made promise to your father Abraham of his seed. And look at verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning, every, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Was Jesus there? Yes, he was in the person of his apostles by his spirit. And look at Peter is saying, Jesus has come. He's been raised from the dead, and God has sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. This was the message that Peter preached. And the Jewish leadership came upon them in chapter 4 and tried to stop them from preaching. And brethren, we may not have Abraham as our father, but I'm thankful for Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 which said that Jesus Christ came also for those that are afar off. Us Gentiles that have no tie to Abraham at all. They weren't our fathers. We came through a different son of Noah, but that Jesus Christ came to save those that are afar off also from Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. We ought to be people of prayer as verse 1 teaches us. I hope you'll praise God as the lame man did. And brethren, I hope that you will appreciate the rest the spiritual rest, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that we enter into that the last part of this chapter talks about. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.